today, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Fresh Frozen Southerner podcast. My name is Jay. I hope all is well, and I hope everyone had a happy Halloween. Full disclosure, I meant to get this episode out a couple of days ago. Obviously, that did not happen, which is a shame because this I want to talk about this guy, and it's sort of in the holiday vein. Uh, but, you know, in retrospect, I don't think the day in between Halloween and Dia de los Muertos is the worst Worst time to get this episode out, especially when you hear the story of this particular individual. Now, a lot of people have not heard of this individual's name, or some people have heard his name, but you never really hear what he did. Uh, But the individual is named Ed Gein, and he has had a pretty big impact on popular culture, and we'll get into that at the end of this episode. Uh, But Ed Gein was born on August the 27th of 1906 in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Now, he was the son of George and Augusta Gein, and he had an older brother named Henry. The family life of Ed Gein growing up was very strange. Um, his father was an alcoholic. That seems to be a uh, a running theme when you start reading about serial killers. Uh, but he got a double dose of strangeness because his mother, Augusta, was an extremely religious woman. They said that every night she would read to the two boys from the Bible um, a lot of Old Testament fire and brimstone passages. Uh, but she was you know, very devoutly Christian, you know, probably on the crazy end of the spectrum as far as religion goes. And she believed and she very vigorously tried to teach her two sons that all women, except for herself, obviously, were promiscuous and she considered them tools of the devil. And because of his alcoholism, George held several jobs while the while the family lived in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Um, he would hold a job for a little while, and because he was such a drunk, he would get fired, and he'd have to move on to something else. And for a little while, he actually owned the local grocery store. Uh, but at some point, and for some reason, it, on any of the articles I read, they never gave the year that this happened. And I don't know if they just considered it unimportant or if it's it's not really known. The family sold the grocery store and they moved to a 155-acre farm in Plainfield, Wisconsin and became full-time farmers. Now, the reason this is important is once they had moved into this very rural, out-of-the-way place, Augusta would not allow any visitors onto the property. She kept anybody from the surrounding towns, I mean, salesmen, friends that the boys might try to bring home from school. She did not allow anybody to come to that farm. In fact, she would punish the boys if they tried to make friends with any of the other kids at school and bring them over to play. Uh, Ed actually did pretty well in school, although he was described as having extremely odd mannerisms. Uh, he was a very good reader, uh, so he there's probably some intelligence there. But even as a young boy, people saw that they were some some very strange things about Ed Gein. One of the things that got mentioned several times is that fellow classmates and teachers mentioned that he would just laugh out of the blue, like, like he was thinking of something that he found funny and would laugh, but it just, it struck them so odd that, you know, the class would be sitting quietly and just all of a sudden Ed would burst out into laughter. Once Ed finished public school, him and his brother still lived on the farm with their parents and there was a number of years where he was basically just isolated from anybody not in his immediate family. And this went on until April the 1st, 1940, when his father, George, suffered a heart attack. Uh, doctors believe that that was brought on from his continued alcoholism. 
Uh, but once his father passed away, um, Ed and his older brother, Henry, did start going out into the community to earn a little extra money for the farm. They worked as handymen. And the people that they had done work for, everybody reported that the brothers were very competent handymen, very reliable. Uh, they did good work. They showed up on time. They seemed to have a very good work ethic. But in the course of their going out and working as handymen, Ed's older brother, Henry, met a woman who had been previously married. She was divorced. Uh, she was several years older than Henry. And they began dating. And Henry began talking about leaving the farm and moving in with this woman. Uh, they actually purchased some land at some point. Obviously, this development did not sit well with Augusta. And she would just rail at Henry anytime he was over at the farm. And when the two boys were alone, Ed said that, Henry had grown very disgusted with his mother and her behavior, and he would talk very badly about Augusta to Ed whenever they were alone together. Uh, Ed said this always upset him greatly, sent him into fits of depression. Um, he was already obviously becoming very de devoted, it's not quite the right word, uh, dependent and obsessed with his mother. Now, on April 16th, 1944, Ed was uh, burning some marsh weeds on the property and the fire got out of hand and it got to the point where your know, neighbors and the local fire department came to help try to put out the fire now by the end of the day they had put out the fire and later that evening ed called the local sheriff's department to let them know that he could not find his brother henry so search parties came out to the farm and were looking by flashlights out in the fields and they eventually did find his brother's body now he had not been burned it appeared that he'd been dead for a period of time. It did not speculate. You know, 1944, the autopsies weren't weren't that precise, but he had not been burned. Uh, there didn't seem to be any injuries, and it, it was just ruled as he was asphyxiated by the smoke, and that's what killed him. Uh, nobody really investigated whether there was any foul play, and nobody really pointed a finger at Ed at this particular time. Uh, now, Later on, when Ed was arrested for some of his other crimes, there were people that speculated that probably Ed had killed his brother and that maybe the fire was meant to cover up that murder. Um, somebody that was an eyewitness on the on the search team that actually found the body did report that there were bruises on Henry's head. You know, by that time, he'd been in the ground for a couple of years and there wasn't wasn't really much that they could follow up on at that point. But after his brother's death, um, Augusta and Ed lived on that farm by themselves, and it was just those two just completely sequestered. And Ed really just, he he spent the remainder of his mother's life just, she was his world. He, he just took care of her, and he worked on the farm, and that was, that was really the only person he had any contact with on the whole planet. It was just him and her out alone on this big farm. During the time that he was being investigated by authorities after his arrest, Ed actually told a story about his mother that kind of sums up how strange and bizarre the situation between the two of them were. He said that they had went to a neighboring farmer's house. They were delivering some hay that the man was going to buy off of the Geens. And when they arrived there, there was some kind of altercation going on. Uh, the man was beating a dog. And Ed told the police that the man actually beat the dog to death and that his mother was extremely upset for several days. Uh, but he said that it wasn't the fact that the man beat the dog to death that had her upset. It's that when they arrived there, 
the man's girlfriend was there at the farm with him, and she was upset that this unmarried woman was out at the farm and and she had no business being there and he said she never mentioned the dog but she went on for days about the fact that this woman was at this guy's farm so that gives you a little insight into what kind of crap she was feeding him just on a daily basis for years and years and years but shortly after henry's death augusta suffered a stroke and she obviously had a lot of physical limitations after that Um, ed basically spent all of his time every day just taking care of his mother. Um, And she lived that way for several months. Uh, She suffered a second stroke. And once that second stroke hit, her health declined extremely rapidly. And she passed away on December 29th, 1945. And at this point, Ed was all alone on that farm. Um, He had no friends, no other family to speak of. He was just there alone by himself. And he lived alone on that farm for about 12 years. And apparently he kept to himself through all those times because there's no reports of anybody reporting any strange activity or anything to to raise suspicions with any of the locals or law enforcement or anything. But on November the 16th, 1957, a woman named Bernice Warden went missing. Now, Miss Warden owned the local hardware store and her son was actually a deputy sheriff for the local county. Now, he went into the store at about 5 o'clock that afternoon, and he noticed that the cash register drawer was open and all the cash was gone, and he found what he believed to be some blood stains that had been cleaned up on the floor. So they started searching for Miss Warden, and at some point they located a witness that said that they had seen the pickup truck that Miss Warden owned and used as a work vehicle, leaving the hardware store at about 9.30 that morning. Miss Warden's son also told police investigators that he had been in the store the previous evening and Ed Gein had been there purchasing some supplies. Now, he said that he overheard his mother tell Ed Gein that he one of the items that he had asked for, she did not have. It was a, a gallon of antifreeze and it was supposed to be in the next day. And Ed was supposed to come back that morning to pick up the antifreeze. And when police started looking into the paperwork from that day's sales, the final receipt that Miss Warden had written out was to Ed Gein for that bottle of antifreeze. So the police obtained a search warrant and they went to the Gein farm and in a shed near the house, they discovered the body of Bernice Warden. Now she was nude. She was hung up by her ankles. Her arms were tied behind her back. Um, one of the deputies described her as being dressed like a deer, meaning that he had removed all her internal organs like he was field dressing a deer so that the meat wouldn't spoil, and she had been decapitated. Uh, The police did find her decapitated head inside the house. Um, Inside the house, they also found some interesting and unsettling things. Uh, They found many, many human bones. They found a trash can made out of human skin. They found several chairs that Ed had made slip covers out of human skin. He had skulls mounted on his bedpost. They found several female skulls, some of which he had sawn the top of the skull off. He had made bowls from human skulls. They found a corset made from a female torso, and it was skin from the shoulders down to the waist. They found leggings made from human leg skin. He had made masks from the skin of female heads. Uh, They found one face mask uh, in particular was a woman named Mary Hogan. A little more on her in just a second. Uh, Mary Hogan's skull was in a box. 
Uh, as I said, they found Bernice Warden's head in a burlap sack. Uh, Bernice Warden's heart was in a plastic bag in front of the potbelly stove. They found nine vulva in a shoebox. Uh, they found a young girl's dress and the vulvas of two females judged to have been about 15 years old. They found a belt that he had made out of female nipples, four noses, a pair of lips on the window shade drawstrings, and a lampshade made from the skin of a human face, and they found fingernails from several different females. Unsurprisingly, Ed Gein was taken into custody at this point, and he was charged with the death of Bernice Warden. During his questioning, Ed said that the period between 1947 and 1952 he had began going to local cemeteries and stealing bodies, fresh fresh corpses, uh, to take home. And the reason that he was doing this, he said, is that he wanted to make a woman suit. He wanted to sort of become his, to crawl into the skin of his mother. And as a result of this, he said that the women that he would steal the corpses of were women. I guess he was getting the paper and he sees the picture in the obituary. But he was getting women that physically resembled his mother. Now, during the questioning, uh, the sheriff in charge of the investigation, a man named Art Schley, uh, reportedly assaulted Gein. He was so traumatized by what he had seen at the farm and what he was hearing uh, that he grabbed Gein by the head and and started beating his head against the wall. Now, as a result of this, uh, Gein's initial confession was ruled inadmissible. Art Sheen died of heart failure in 1968. Uh, This was right before Gein's trial. And people that knew Gein said that, or I'm sorry, people that knew Schley uh, said that he was traumatized by what he had seen at the farm and the stories that Gein was telling him. And he was terrified of having to testify in court. And they believe that's what led to his heart attacks. And, you know, some people said that he was a victim of Gein as surely as any of those women had been. Now, Gein knew the names of almost all the women that he said that he had exhumed their bodies and, and brought back to his farm. Uh, police actually did investigate those graves and they did find a lot of the coffins either empty or if the remains were still there, a lot of them had had body parts removed. Uh, oddly enough, Ed would always, any jewelry or personal effects that were on the body, um, he would remove those and leave those in the casket. Um, he like I say, he was not grave robbing per se. He was there specifically for the bodies. But Ed went on trial on November the 21st, 1957. And he was only charged with the murder of Bernice Warden, uh, even though he had confessed to killing Mary Hogan. That was the head that they found in his house. Uh, she had went missing on December the 8th, 1954, and the case had just gone cold. No, there were no leads at all. Uh, but of course, they found her remains in his house as well. Um, now, Ed Gein had, was diagnosed with schizophrenia and was found to be mentally incapable of standing trial. Now, he was sent to a hospital for the criminally insane. Uh, it was Center State Hospital in Wisconsin. And he stayed there for about 11 years. And at that time, he was determined to be competent enough to stand trial to participate in his own defense. And so a second trial began on November the 7th, 1968. It lasted just a week, and Gein was determined to be not guilty by reason of insanity. Technically, he was acquitted, uh, but he was remanded to a state hospital for the criminally insane, and Ed Gein stayed there for the rest of his life. 
Uh, he died on July 26 of 1984 from respiratory illness. He had lung cancer, uh, but he, he survived all the way up to 84. He was uh, 77 when he passed away. Now, shortly after Ed was sent to the mental hospital, his family farm was put up for auction. Uh, now, right before the auction happened, the house was set on fire and burned down. Now, it may have just been an accidental fire, but most people kind of agree that somebody burned the house down because they felt that it would probably become some sort of tourist attraction and they didn't want that type of attraction in their small little community, especially not considering all that he had done. And that's probably true. It would have become a tourist attraction because for years people would chip off pieces of Ed Gein's headstone and actually the headstone was stolen at one point and it was not located until 2001. I, I never saw anything regarding how it was recovered or who had it, uh, just that it was found in Washington state. Now the headstone was returned to uh, Wisconsin, uh, but they did not put it back up. They just have it. The cemetery has it in storage, but they did not put it back on his grave just because they believe somebody would steal it again. Uh, now his grave is unmarked, but it's not unknown where it is. He's buried with his parents and his brother. So, so everybody knows where his grave is, but they just didn't bother to put the headstone back up. Now, I said at the beginning of the show that Ed Gein, even though he's not very well known in the true crime pantheon of killers, but he still had a huge impact on popular culture. And that's because Ed Gein's antics, crimes, whatever you want to call them, have inspired a lot of characters in movies. Uh, first and probably foremost, Ed Gein was the inspiration for Robert Block's 1959 novel, Psycho which, of course, is also one of Alfred Hitchcock's most famous movies. But in addition to the Norman Bates character, Ed Gein is credited to being the inspiration for uh, Leatherface from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Buffalo Bill in The Silence of the Lambs, and Garland Green in Con Air. So as much as it seems wrong to celebrate a murderer, um, Ed Gein is responsible for some of the most famous and celebrated characters from horror and film and unlike a lot of serial killers which again ed what he was doing was not serial killing he was desecrating bodies and of course he killed two people that we know of now he was suspected of a lot of disappearances uh, but there was never any evidence to tie him to any of those but they investigated him for about a dozen other disappearances over the course of about 20 years but Ed always maintained that he had nothing to do with those disappearances and actually took multiple lie detector tests and always passed those with flying colors. So I don't think he was really a bloodthirsty killer. You know, when you when you read about like uh, Jeffrey Dahmer or Ted Bundy or John Wayne Gacy or Richard Ramirez, you know, these individuals, the killing is what they wanted to do. And I'm not sure why Ed Gein decided to kill these two women so far apart. The killing was not what he was interested in. And a lot of these guys, they'll plead insanity to try to avoid going to prison and go to a state hospital. You know, Usually it's just a ploy. I think they knew exactly what they were doing. They just didn't care. I honestly feel like Ed Gein really did not understand what he was doing and why it was wrong. I think Ed Gein is an example of, you know, somebody that 
they had some bad wiring at birth, just genetically there was something off. And then you mix in just a shit ton of really horrible parenting, and this is what you can come up with. You hear people talk, well, nature or nurture. Well, in this case, I think it was both. I think you had a kid that had a few things wrong with him, and he got shoved over the edge because of the way that his parents treated him. And you wind up with somebody that 70 years after the fact, he is still inspiring horror writers with his with his crimes. All right, guys, as I say, this this is coming out a day late, but I did want to get this one last little taste of Halloween in before we dive into Thanksgiving and Christmas and the rest of the holidays. I am looking forward to the holidays. As a matter of fact, as I sit here and record this, I am sipping on an eggnog. Uh, If you'd like to pick some up, it's in pretty much every store. It's made by Southern Comfort. Uh, Now, it's non-alcoholic, but it is made by the Southern Comfort Company or it's you know, marketed by them. I'm sure they don't have a, a kitchen somewhere where they're making this stuff. They're probably getting somebody else to make it. But it's not a traditional eggnog. It's a vanilla spice, and it is quite refreshing and tasty. I recommend you pick some up. This is not a paid endorsement. I just really like this stuff. And I'm not going to tell you that you should be drinking, but if you would like to add a little bit of extra holiday cheer, a little bit of Captain Morgan Spice Rum is a tasty, tasty addition, let me tell you. I can tell you that from experience. So I am ready for the holidays, uh, but I want you to pray for me because if you're a regular listener, you'll know that this time last year, my family was not in a home of our own. And this year we are in a house. And since we didn't get to do really anything last year, my wife is bound and determined to make up for lost time. And I'm telling you right now, she is going to go way too far. And when I talk about her going way too far, I'm the one who has to do all the heavy lifting for this stuff. So I'm going to be the one putting up decorations and hauling stuff in and out of the basement. And and I want you to think of me while you're enjoying your Thanksgiving break and your Christmas holiday, because I will probably be out in the yard fixing or assembling something. I just thank God we're back in the South, so it's probably not going to be 14 degrees while I'm out there doing this stuff. It'll probably be sunny and I'll be in a light jacket. All right, guys, that's about all I've got for you today. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I hope you had a happy Halloween. If you enjoyed today's show, I would certainly appreciate it if you would rank the show on wherever you download this podcast. And if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can reach me at freshfrozensoutherner at gmail.com, or you can go to the Fresh Frozen Southerner Facebook page. All right, guys, I appreciate you sitting with me this long. I hope everybody has a happy Halloween and happy Thanksgiving going forward, and we will talk again very soon. Thank you very much.